Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Edward Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we are deep diving into Andrew's portfolio. There was a very interesting question from Aaron on our most recent webinar, who said, Andrew, I believe early 2021, you had about 50 properties, but then you were selling some late last year, or October, November-ish, came back down to 30-something. Did you see the fall coming? Was it a strategy to get out before any drop in property prices came? And are you now actively purchasing again right now? We're going to deep dive into all of that today. And I get to hold the microphone and interview you, which is quite a nice change, Andrew. So how many properties do you own? I, I, you know, I, when you ask that question, I was thinking, I have no idea at the moment because the problem is we've been consolidating so much of my portfolio that I've had with syndicates and ditching all of the old properties. So I bought a lot of old properties a number of years ago, which we can go into, and been buying up new ones. I know that right now I've got, I don't think I ever had 50. I don't think no, that you never, No, you never said publicly no, 50. No, I, I, I always said more than my age, and I'm 38. Maybe he just thought that I looked 50. So thanks, Aaron. I think that probably at the moment, 25 with about seven under construction, I think. Best guess. How do you not know? What do you mean? Well, who's managing it if you don't even know? Well, I know, know what the all I know is I've got spreadsheets with each different bank. I could have looked if you'd told me what the topic was in advance. Don't blame me for your mismanagement of your portfolio, oh. Andrew Nicole. <laughs> My property managers look after all that, and the bankers. So what is the split of those, say, 25 properties yep. you've already got? And then what's under construction? Well, plus your seven under construction. Yes. So, okay, 32, call it. Yes. What's the split between new builds and existing properties? Ah, uh, so my biggest change has been that I've been moving to new builds exclusively. There's a f- couple on the market at the moment. I would say that now it's probably 60% new build, 40% existing. Okay, so you've got 40% existing, and bear in mind that some of your new builds would have been purchased before the interest deductibility oh, terrible. Rules. So if we get in Labour government next year, I'll be getting rid of the rest of the existings. Okay, so when you say the existings, do you mean the ones that you purchased as new builds that are now considered existing? Correct. The 40% that's existing, is that under tax rules or that you purchased not from a developer? No, there will be some in there where they will be new builds that are uh, considered existing by the new law. Now, just for anybody who's thinking... How does that work? So when Andrew's talking about a new build, it's because he purchased it directly from a developer. But if he did so and had the code compliance certificate come out before March 2020, then for tax purposes, at least for interest deductibility, then it won't be considered a new build. But the unfortunate thing is there is not one way to define a new build right now. There are about three different ways, depending on whether you're the Reserve Bank, one department of the IRD looking at Brightline, or another department of the IRD looking at interest deductibility. So my next question for you is whereabouts are your properties actually based? The majority of my properties right now are in Christchurch, but I'm almost exclusively buying in Auckland at the moment. Why is that? Because I've been a bit late to the party in Auckland. Turns out there's extremely good growth there. So for the last few years, I've been just trying to buy as many Auckland properties as possible. Okay. And what sort of properties in Auckland are you purchasing at the moment? Townhouses exclusively so far. Whereabouts? All over the place. I don't care so much about the suburbs as I do the numbers. But there is three in Mangare. Now, let's come back to Aaron's question. Did you sell those properties because... You were some great soothsayer, <laughs> seeing that the property market 
falls or drops in house prices were coming. No, absolutely not. In fact, one of my syndicates that I belonged to, we sold, I think, 15 or 20 properties in Christchurch before Christchurch took off four years ago. Like really, really bad timing. And it was only that my other two business partners had gone on to do other things. And so we had to liquidate. And I think I was telling Ed the other day, I think we paid about half a million dollars in break fees to the BNZ one year because we had to break those mortgages to get out of them. Now, are you still actively purchasing now? Absolutely. In fact, I've been so busy over the last few months with everything that we're doing here at work that I have been a bit remiss with hitting my goal. But the other day I worked out I need to sign a few more contracts by the end of the year. Absolutely. Are you investing on your own or with your partner? I haven't done anything with Lauren yet. Um, (laughs) She has a nice house in the trust and, and that's a good asset for her. We did talk about, prior to the interest deductibility rules coming out, doing some buy-in renovations to kind of be projects for her so I could teach her a bit about the birth strategy. But with the interest deductibility rules and having a baby, we've parked that idea right now. Anything that I invest is either myself or with property business partners. So you're actively building a portfolio, primarily looking at Auckland. I'm sure everybody wants to know, how do you personally figure out what to buy and what not to buy. Do you know, the stuff that I buy now, honestly, hand to God, is the stuff that we recommend to investors. I bought in the Wormsley development recently that we spoke about. I bought in the Lincroft development that we spoke about. I bought in the Coronation Road development that we've spoken about before. It is exactly the stuff that we recommend to investors. So I'm fortunate enough to see good projects all the time. And then I say, yeah, that sounds good. And I put down a 10% deposit. I do it the worst way, the way that I would never, ever, ever allow an investor to do. I put down a 10% deposit and then I think, oh, I'll worry about that later. And then I ring my bank closer to settlement and we work out the money. We'll get into the bank as okay. well in a second. But we've got 97 developers we work with. You can't buy off all of them. Oh, how, why not, Ed? Not with that attitude. But how do you, well, you've only got 25 properties, yeah. Andrew, going up to 32 shortly, not enough. Now, my question is, how do you decide, of all the properties available, which one you're going to pull the trigger on? I just look at the numbers. I honestly just look at the numbers. What numbers are you looking at? Return on investment. I use our return on investment calculator, and if I like the look of it, because I'm putting it together for an investor, I think, yeah, I'll take one of those. Another good one is the Mount Wellington one recently. the, The return on investment's insane. I was putting that together for one of my investors the other day. I thought, I really should have put a contract on one of these. And mentioned it to Ollie, our GM, who invests with me as well. And I actually gave the investor that's working with me the better unit. And then I need to sign up for the middle unit, the less good one. So let's say you're about to sell on seven properties. And not all at once. No, yeah, at different times. Uh, over the next 14 months, I think is the longest one out. Yeah, but that's, that's a lot of properties over 14 months. How are you going to manage the negative cash flow if you're borrowing 100% of them? Is the rest of your portfolio positively geared? Yes, it is now. Definitely is now. I'm okay with making contributions. But the reality of my portfolio is that we need to put in 30% cash anytime I buy something now. So I put 10% down at the start. I put down another 20% when I settle. And I borrow 70% from the bank. So my portfolio would be pretty close to positively geared on that basis because I'm putting cash in all the time. Yeah, 30% is the standard deposit where we kind of say that's where it becomes cash flow neutral. Uh, Yeah, and actually the bank has a requirement, their internal requirement is that the way that my banker tends to assess my properties is they work on the rental income has to cover the mortgage and then they're fine with it. 
Those are some good sums, actually. Those yeah. would be better than most other people. Why is it different for you than from different every Because of the size of the portfolio. Yeah. They're very good, though. And do you know, at what point is the bank going to require an investor to put in those larger cash deposits? I couldn't tell you the answer to that. I think that as soon as you're deemed commercial, they're going to work on that basis. But I think because I'm known in the industry, I've got a reasonably good relationship with banks. So... You were talking about calling up your banker before. Does that mean that I don't Andrew- call it up. All I do is I literally send a sale and purchase agreement about a month from settlement and say, hey, this is coming up for settlement next month. Here's the sale and purchase, code of compliance and titles coming soon. And they send the loan documents to my lawyer. How does someone build a big portfolio like you have? <laughs> you have to be able to make reasonable income. You have to have good cash flow on your personal side of things to be able to make that work. Do you also need a time machine or can some people still grow a decent sized portfolio? Maybe not 32 I'll put it properties. This way. I'm seeing some investors next week who don't make a huge income, but they have $4 million to invest. Now, those people are going to be able to borrow 50% all day long from a bank. So they've got $8 million worth of investment purchasing power and will be able to put together a portfolio. It'll pay for itself and the bank will just accept that. On the flip side, I'm working with some other investors who have got good cash very, very, very strong income, no personal debt. And so the bank has said, hey, look, we can lend you at you know, 20% deposit. So they've got to put in 20% cash and then they can just buy as many as they want because they've got lots of cash flow. But how does somebody get $4 million to invest if they don't have huge incomes? They had property previously. They sold a uh, big estate. Okay, so they're going to be restructuring their portfolio. Well, they've already, it was actually one piece of land, so they owned a farm. And I think the key thing to remember is you have to just get started and you need to do this over a long period of time. Like I've been investing for 19 years, 20 years next year. And you just have to buy and hold and just keep on buying. Whenever you can get money from the bank, keep on buying. Because as you get a bigger portfolio, there are more challenges, but also in some ways it can become easier. Again, like, you know, I send a sale and purchase to the bank. And just before we wrap up, are there any challenges or other unique things, eyebrow-raising things, about having such a large portfolio? Yep. High interest rates can be a little bit stressful. I think one of the key things is having different properties at different banks and structuring loans on different fixed terms and also not selling. So again, having business partners in the past that have you know encouraged sales when I haven't really wanted to sell, that's been detrimental for me. So I think that's something that if you really want to grow a portfolio to a sizable stage, you either need to do it with business partners that are on that same page or you need to do it by yourself. But did you know at the start that they weren't on the same page or did they appear to be long-term investors well, as well? I mean, look, I don't think we had that discussion other than saying it's a majority rules goes. If someone gets voted out in terms of a decision, then that's tough luck. How many are you going to have in your next 19 years? I don't know. Maybe... 50 is probably actually a workable number. Probably don't need much more than that. Right, let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to get started, like Andrew said, you've got to start, then your next step is to come in for a portfolio planning session. Really easy way to sign up for that. Text the word PLAN to 5522. We'll give you a buzz. See if it's the right fit for you. listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back here tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most after you sell the property market. Until next time, 